In 2012, there were less than 20 gender clinics in the whole world. That was just 10 years ago. Right now, there are over 60 gender clinics in the United States. From 2012 to 2020, the UK saw an increase of 4,500% of their youth saying that they struggle with their gender identity. They struggle with something that the counselors and psychologists call gender dysphoria. And what was alarming to them is they saw an increase with the girls primarily. Before 2012, the ratio in which young adults would say that they struggle with their gender of what they were born with, which people call your biological sex, it was a ratio of two to one more males than females. Within an eight-year period, that has completely flipped, and now young girls are the primary uh, demographic of not just in America, not just in the UK, but in more places around the world because we're becoming more connected through the internet and social media and such. It has been a complete transition from guys dealing with this, mainly because of sexual orientation, to girls are dealing with this, and it doesn't have to do with their sexual orientation. If you don't know what these words mean, uh, I wish I were you. <laughs> um, in studying and preparing for talking about what the Bible says about gender, sex, marriage, what he designed us for, created us for, I found out that there are different terms that are now being used just in the last decade that are important for this conversation. I know that some of you have questions about how the church is to respond to our neighbors that we love, our community, people that are made in the image of God, our children, our grandchildren, people that we love that are dealing or struggling with um, the conflict of how God made them. Uh, and you're curious, how do we respond to them? You're curious, uh, do we use preferred pronouns? Is that what Christians are supposed to do? Are we supposed to use preferred pronouns in the workplace, in school, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members? How do you respond to someone that doesn't see gender and sexuality in the same way as, as a Christian would who submits to the scriptures, understands gender and sexuality in, a, in biblical terms, terms that have been used for thousands of years? How do we respond to them? What do we say? Um, just... Just this August, in August, the Boston Children's Hospital posted a video in which a medical professional said that now we've learned that children can understand their gender identity in the womb. Yeah, I know that sounds ridiculous. They took that video down. Do you want to know why? Not because they're not still advocating for gender identity being different than how you were born. It's because they realized they created a loophole 
for anti-abortion. And what they were saying is, you can know your gender at an early age, but okay, we change our mind. Not in the womb, though. Not in the womb. And so they took that video down. Uh, just this week, there was a biology, a biology teacher in Pennsylvania who last year was suspended from being a teacher. She was suspended from being a teacher because she would not use preferred pronouns in her classroom, and she was suspended just this week. Uh, her appeal was won, and she's reinstated as a teacher. However, there are lots of people in this room that you're dealing with a community, people around you that you love, or jobs that you have, vocations, professional vocations, in which you have to answer whether or not you're going to use preferred pronouns, how, what does it mean to love people without affirming their way of living. Some of your kids are dealing or struggling with gender dysphoria, their gender identity. Uh, I'll give you an exa another example. Uh, now in public schools, including the state of Kansas. Now, before I say this, I'm not... I'm, there are public schools and public school teachers who love God and are teaching well and doing the right thing. Even in our own communities, they're trying so hard. Uh, they do not agree with secular thinking in this. They do not have to teach it. Um, so this is not a derogatory remark against teachers or other institutions. Also true, governmental institutions are now making it harder and harder not to affirm and agree with the ideology that children don't have to uh, identify with their sex that they were assigned at birth is how they would say, how God created you. Or even your gender expression, how you show what gender you are, or your presentation, how people receive how masculine or feminine you are. And so there are certain teachers in certain school districts in which they're teaching something, elementary kids, by the way, these are young kids, they're using something called the gingerbread man, where you get a ginger, gingerbread cookie that looks like a human somewhat figure, like a stick figure type thing, and you explain to young kids how your gender is fluid, meaning there's a spectrum. There's not, there's not just two genders. That's, that's called binary. That's cis normativity. That's that they're, they're calling it cis-sexism, where it's oppression against people that don't identify with the gender that God created them in. And they're using this teaching, and it is exploding. It is, it is rapid. It is the next battle in the sexual revolution. And so, what do we do? What do we say? Where do we go? I... I'm not going to be able to answer all those questions in one Sunday. Today, I'm just going to look at a foundation of what God said about sex and gender. Now, those of you that are well-researched or in the public schools or understand this, I do understand the Trevor Project. I do understand the five different terms of biological sex, gender identity, gender expression, gender presentation, and sexual orientation. I understand the difference between who you like and how you feel and how you want to present yourself. I, I understand all those terms. 
We are not going to be able to answer all those questions in one Sunday, not even in two Sundays. I don't even know how long this is going to last. I really don't. But I want to share with you scripturally what the Bible says about this because this is the battle for souls right now. It's not that in order to receive the gospel, you have to have an understanding of gender. That's not what I'm saying. However, what I am saying is the next generation, like Gen Z and the ones after them, the main reason why they are leaving the church and not understanding what the church is really doing is because the church is not responding to their neighbors. Instead, they're creating huddles of not talking about it at all. They're just not talking about it. No, one's, no one wants to address it. And children and grandchildren, which may surprise you, they may grow up with different values than you have or not agree with you, and it might shock you, and they move out of your house, and all of a sudden you're like, I didn't know this was going on. You need to know what the world is preaching to them so that you can share with them the truth. Now, in some ways, we may have to protect them. I don't want our little kids knowing everything that's out there because I don't want them to be deceived and tempted. However, I do want to share what the Scripture says about your sexuality, which is good. There's so much good in the way that God created you, male and female. And so, what is God's purpose uh, for gender? By the way, uh, this is really interesting to me. I love data, not because it's always the truth, but I just love the conversation and understanding what, what the enemy is trying to teach in the world so that I can understand which parts of the Bible I really need to emphasize. Um, and I hope you know what I mean by that. All of the Bible is God's truth. I'm not trying to highlight one over the other. But answering the cultural questions, I want to study well and be a workman approved, studying the Scripture, being able to, for the salvation for the hearers and for myself. I want to know what the Bible says about these issues. There are some people, there are lots of people right now that are arguing that the reason why there is a 4,500% increase in gender dysphoria in the UK alone, stats are similar to those in America in the last 10 years. What they'll say is, that's because now we're more gender affirming. Have you ever heard of gender affirming care? It sounds so wonderful. It is not. Uh, just, just replace that with sinful, destructive, affirming identity. That, that's all that is. Um, but they will, what, what they say is, well, the reason why more kids, and this is particularly youth, why more kids are struggling with their gender is because now we're more affirming and we're more open to it. So it's kind of opening the door. Uh, even non-Christians say, statisticians and doctors are saying, that is not true at all. Here's an example. Many years ago, left-handed writers were forbidden of writing in their left, with their left hand in grade school. They said, don't do it. And after that changed, and they realized, this isn't bad. You can write with your left hand. Over 50 years, it grew from 3% of the population that were left-handed to 11% of the population that were left-handed. There was an increase in 3% per year over 50 years. If you're not a statistician, I know that some of that's mind-boggling, but just stick with me. Just remember 3% growth. From 2012 to 2020, there was a consistent 60%, 6-0% increase in primarily girls struggling with their gender in America and the UK. 
each year, 60%, equivalent to a 4,500% increase. The reason why this is, is because girls and boys, but especially girls in this social media environment, girls struggle with their body image. They struggle with who they are. They go through the awkward phase. They don't understand all that. And the world is telling them, you're struggling, you're sad, you're anxious, you just need to change your gender. You need to transition. And there's communities, social media communities out there that are teaching children, if you just change this, you will be happy. And it's a lie. More than 90% of kids in the last 10 years that have transitioned, over 90% of them are suicidal after 7 to 10 years of changing. And if they would just get through the awkward years of puberty and everything else in adulthood, nearly all of them, more than 90%, would have never changed their gender. That's the data that's out there. I begin this way because I want you to know how important it is for the church to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our young people. They are looking for hope. They are looking for answers to life. They are looking to answers for their anxiety and their anger and their image and their sadness and everything else that's going on. And the world is preaching a very loud, compelling argument that, oh, we know the answer. You just need to have a different gender. You need to accept that you're uh, struggling with your gender identity. So what does God have to say about it? Is this just a social construct, this whole idea of male and female, this gender identity issue? Is this, that's why I titled the sermon, Gender Identity versus Gender Dysphoria. I'm going to use the word gender in the way that the world would primarily use the word sex. The reason why I'm not using sex is because that, it's not the action of sex. It is the gender in which you're born with, your biological sex. So if you're in this room and you, you are on the other side of the aisle of this issue than I am, I understand I hope you understand why I'm using gender because we're looking at Genesis and over the next several weeks we will get into sexual orientation. I'm not even going to discuss homosexuality uh, or bisexuality today. That's, that needs its own Sunday. And the Bible does address homosexuality. That is different than gender identity. And so uh, where can we find the purpose for gender in the Bible? Well, you start at the beginning. And today we're only going to be, we're barely scratching the surface. We can only look at the beginning, and it's in Genesis chapter 1. And the first point that we see, the first foundational truth we find in the Scripture is that God designed gender for reflection. God designed on purpose male and female so that you and I would reflect the image of God. Let me share with you why. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man... In our image. Now, he says our because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always existed. They've always been in community. They've always loved each other. And God wanted to make human beings unlike other creation. Human beings are not like anything else that God created. He created us in his image, which is so essential to this conversation. So let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Image and likeness are not the same word. It's not the same idea. In his image and in his likeness is referring to 
We are reflecting him, and there's a part of God's fingerprints of his own identity of who he is as a person, as a being. Though that that marker is on us as human beings, it's not that way with other creation. The rocks and the trees, even dogs, which I love, for sure not cats. No one would ever guess that, but uh, they're not made in God's image. Now, they have characteristics that are similar to the same artist that has created them, but they are not made in his image, just human beings. So God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Now, this is Hebrew poetry. He's repeating it three times. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, this is really instructional for us. The reason why this language uses those three terms... And God created them in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Those three lines are what Hebrew poetry uses to make emphasis. God created us in his image. In case you forgot, God created us in his image. What does that mean? And what's essential to being created in God's image? This is going to blow your mind. It's that he made us male and female. That is essential to us being made in his image. So that's what God is saying in Genesis 1. At the very beginning, I created you as a male or a female on purpose because through that unique identity, you are reflecting my image. You are made in my image, made to reflect me to the world. You are image bearers. You reflect God's glory. It's like God shines on us, reflects off of us, and it doesn't really show us as much as it shows him. That's the design. I say it like this because this is easy to remember. Two R words. God made us to reflect his image to others and respect his image in others. So God made us to reflect his image and to respect his image because every human being is made in the image of God. And so our gender is essential to how we reflect his image according to Genesis 1. It's essential. In Genesis 5, he repeats it. It's not on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, if you're taking notes, Genesis 5, verses 1 through 2, it says, This is the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. He repeats it. Why would it be so important to repeat like this? Because in order for us to understand how we're made in his image, it is somehow embodied and engulfed in the truth that you were made a male or a female. God did not just make you a person. Do you get that? You're not just a human. He specifically designated your gender to be what you were born with on purpose, and for him that reflects his image. So that's so key to the conversation when we think about sexual or gender identity. Uh, we're not going to talk about sexual orientation or presentation or expression. Um, we're not going to be able to go into all that. But the way that God made you, it was intentional as far as your gender is concerned. I read Ephesians chapter 4 at the beginning of the service. In case you came late, you're totally missing it. Don't come late. Uh, that's a good time for us to pray together and read. I read... 
Ephesians 4, verses, I start in verse 4, 17, but verse 22, he says, So take off your former way of life. Don't, don't go with how you were born. Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Don't just live your life or find your identity in your desires. Don't trust those desires. Don't go to the old way. If you read Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, you realize there is sexual immorality in ways in which we human beings mar and pervert the image of God. We weren't created for that. And so, so Paul's saying, listen, if you've been born again, if you are a believer in Christ, you're a new creation. Don't go back to how you were born. Uh, I know there's an argument, well, I was born this way. Okay, well, were you born again? Because if you're born again, you shouldn't go with the way you were born the first time. You're a new creation, according to Paul. Now, I wouldn't. That, that's really hard to say it that way, and you wouldn't want to say it like that. If there's someone that's struggling with their, their sexual orientation and their gender identity, and they're facing opposition and discrimination, and they have no hope, and they're facing loneliness, and how are they going to live in the world, and how are they going to have a family, and how are they going to... That is such a deep personal issue. We ought to have compassion as the church, loving them, understanding the depth of angst that they're facing in that. And uh, God have mercy on you if you're, if you're dealing with that. I'm not any better than you. My sins aren't better than yours. And, uh, and I, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you if that's you. With that being said, it is true, though, and you should know, the Bible teaches us you can't go with how you were born. So take off your former worry of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. This is a conscious choice. This is a decision. This is a commitment. The one created according to God's, God's likeness, according to that, hopefully, yeah, God's image, God's likeness. You were created in God's likeness. Now, where do we see that term? What is Paul referring to? How do we know what he means when he says God's likeness? Go back to Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis chapter 2. We were made in his likeness, and when that's described, it always includes male and female. God created you to reflect him as a male or a female, not both, and you can't switch. And we're going to get into it. We can't cover it all this morning, but you know the Bible talks about presenting yourself as the opposite gender? It talks about that. And, and it talks about a bunch of other things, too. There's so many questions we're not going to answer this morning, and, but we will get into them. So you, you were created to reflect God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So your desires play into how you reflect God's likeness, His image, and you reflect it. One of the essential pieces in which you reflect God's image is in your gender, whether you were born a male or female, according to the Scriptures. Now, where we go wrong is when we decide that God's image and the image in which he created us isn't to our liking. That's where we go wrong. In Acts chapter 17, there's a big argument in Paul's teaching. He says, Therefore, since we are the descendants of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, God's nature, who God is, is like gold or silver or stone, in image, an image formed by human skill and thought. So there's more to the argument here, but, but he's saying, listen, 
we would be foolish to think that we can make God in our image or even make it an image in which we think God is more like, like gold or silver or stone. When you say that I'm not who God created me to be, you're reflecting your image of your creation, not God's image of your creation. You're not reflecting God's instruction on, on how he made you. And this is what idolatry is. Idolatry is when you create something else in the image of God that is not the image of God. We're not allowed to create idols. Why? You are the idols in one sense. You are God's image bearers to the world. That's true in the Ten Commandments. You reflect his image. That's true in the New Testament. You, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Do you not know that God dwells within you and you are God's dwelling place in the world, that God reflects who he is through you throughout the world? Don't make images because you can't make an image. God already did it. God made human beings, male and female, in his image. We were made to reflect his image, nothing else. That was, that was God's intention for us. We were made to reflect his image. And when we, when we try to create God in our image and our likeness, uh, we mess it up. We must realize that we were meant to reflect his image, not recreate his image. And when people say that I'm not right if I live according to how God created me, what they're saying is God's image is wrong. Now, I'm not talking about there are people that are born with same-sex attraction. They, they are attracted to the same sex. They're, we use the words homosexual, gay, same-sex attraction. I'm not able to preach into that. That is not what the Bible says about how he creates us. You can be born with, you, all of us are born with sinful desires. That's not what Paul's referring to. What Paul is saying is your creation intention is not yours to make up. Don't think that God can be made in your image. God made you in his image is the point. So God designed gender for reflection. Point number two, God designed gender for reproduction. This is a lot more fun to talk about, but we're not going to have fun talking about it today. Um, but it's important for the discussion. Why did God make male and female? He made it for procreation. He made it for reproduction. And that's found in Genesis in the very following verse that we just read. In verse 28, God blessed them, talking about male and female them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So be fruitful, multiply. You can't do that without male and female. You need both. And that was part of God's good design, was reproduction. And reproduction is deeper than just the basic reproduction. God doesn't want us to just make babies. He wants us to make disciples. Why would God say, fill the earth? Because you can't cultivate the earth as he gave Adam. He can't, he can't garden the whole world. I mean, I know some of you farmers you have like a thousand acres plus. That's so much land. I could never farm all that land. You know, if I were, if I knew what you knew, maybe, right? You do so much land. Could you imagine trying to farm the whole world by yourself? I mean, even if you had the best John Deere tractor out there, you're not going to do it. You ain't got enough time. 
in order for us to build the kind of kingdom that God intended, we need more people. In order to have more image bearers reflecting God's image, we need male and female in order for in order for re- multiplication, reproduction. Yes. So make babies, make disciples, make a difference. Rule the earth the way that God intended. And, uh, and he made it very good. He made it for good purposes. And he made it really, the third point really reflects this the most. But God created it on purpose for our good. God designed gender for relationship. So God designed gender for reflection, that we would reflect his image. He, he designed it for reproduction, so that we would multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and, and reign as part of his image bearers, building the kingdom that he desires. Now, we're, we've messed that up. Jesus had to come rescue us, and Jesus is coming back to rescue us again, in a sense. He's going to make it all final. There will be a new kingdom on earth one day, and it will be according to God's righteous decree. It's going to be right, and we're going to reflect his image completely. Um, but there's still part of that here now where God wants us to be male and female, and part of that is for relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, this is all in the context of God making them male and female. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. And there's whole commentaries written about this. Uh, just on this one verse alone, there's articles and books. What does it mean for man to be alone? Do you know that loneliness was the first problem man ever encountered and it wasn't after sin? Isn't that interesting? We encountered an issue before sin sin entered the world. That's important. The fact that people deal with loneliness and isolation and not being connected is important to God and it was important even before sin entered the world. So God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. So what's going on? God says, it's not good for you to be by yourself, Adam. So I'm going to make you a good partner. I'm going to make you something, someone that corresponds to who you are. And so how could God explain to Adam, uh, hey, Adam, uh, sooner or later, you're going to feel unsatisfied. How is he going to explain that to him? Adam's in the garden. How is God going to explain to Adam, hey, I know I made this whole thing. Everything's going perfectly. No pun intended. Like, this is perfect. However, it's not good for you to be alone. Adam wouldn't understand that context. And so God put him through a trial. He brings all the animals before Adam and says, hey, Adam, I want you to name these animals. Now, if you know anything about you know, thousands of years ago. This isn't every kind of animal we have now. This is the kinds of animals like one dog, one cat, one horse, that kind of idea. They all stemmed and procreated outside of that. So Adam starts looking at these animals and says, okay, all right, all right. I got, I got a boy cow. That'll be a bull. I got a girl cow. I'll just call that a cow. Uh, they're not the same. One has horns and is definitely different under the hood. And, um, They're not the same. And then there's like a boy chicken, which is a rooster. I know. Before you laugh at me, I've I've lived here five years. I know there's a rooster. I'm I'm not that Michigan. Uh, So there's a boy chicken, which is called a rooster. Then there's the girl chicken called the hen. And he looks at the rooster and the hen and says, now, wait a minute. These aren't the same things. I mean, it's like they're the same, but they're not the same. They seem to fit together really well, 
It's like they were made for each other. So Adam's naming all the animals, and all of a sudden, Adam thinks it's his idea. Wait a minute. Where's, where's my hen? Where, where's my heifer? In a, in a good way, you know? Where? Yeah, you know, out of all the controversial things I'm going to say in the next month and a half, that better not be the one that you email me about. <laughs> Uh, anyway, where's my partner? Where's my corresponding partner? Um, so that's the issue. And then we get to verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. He realizes, I ain't got a partner. Then verse 21 and we don't know why. It's not explicit. Your imagination can run wild of this if you've ever tried to get a man that didn't know what he was doing to help you on a project. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs. By the way, that, word, that Hebrew word for rib is used 40 other times in the Old Testament, never referred to as an actual rib. Um, just to throw that confusion out there for you. Uh, but it's a rib. It's his rib. It's to his side. It means like side. It's part of who he is. And he closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man because ever since creation, men love ribs. They just, we just love ribs. And <laughs> women love ribs too. Uh, but it was a good, it was, it's a great illustration. Anyway, so he brings, he brings Eve to Adam. And the man said, verse 23, this one. He finally sees it. This is the one. Yes, this is what I was not even knowing I missed. I am totally down with this. This one, at last, I've gone through all these male and female animals, and I'm telling you, not a one of them I was thinking matched me. But this one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. Intimacy, relationship, closeness. God created us male and female for good reasons. That doesn't mean that it's going to always feel good, that it's going to work out the way we want to, because this is a fallen world. But God designed gender not for our own liking to decide how in which we use it, but on purpose so, us, so that we would reflect his image, we would reproduce, that's a real thing, and that we would have relationship. Now, what about relationships with the same gender? I mean, why can't you just love and have intimacy with someone of your same gender? Why can't you identify as the other gender and be with someone that's the opposite of your sexual orientation, your, your biological sex? Why can't you be with them? Sexually, you can have a baby. You can do all kinds of things. Why, why can't you just say, I'm of a different gender. I still agree with God's genders. I just am not the one that I was born with. Why can't you just do that? And is gender really about masculinity and femininity? I mean, is masculinity the way that we see it really biblical? I mean, when you think about men in the Bible, 
that reflect God's image. Take King David, for example. Uh, how was he feminine, effeminate? Uh, he, he was a poet. He wrote poetry. He loved writing. He played the harp. Not a lot of other instruments more feminine than the harp. They're just not. He was ruddy, redheaded, kind of short. His best friend, Jonathan, after he died, wrote a poem about him and said, your love to me was better than a love of a woman. Did God really say that gender, male and female, sexual, biology, did he really say that that was one way and only one way? Why can't it mix? Do we really understand masculinity and femininity? Why is homosexuality wrong? Does the Bible speak to homosexuality? Does it speak to our sexual orientation? Does it speak to our identity? It does. Lots of verses. Does the Bible talk about men and women in distinction, that they are different? It does. There's even different roles. There, there, you could debate about what the text eventually means, but what everybody agrees with in the New Testament is that women, men and women are not the same thing. So what is a man? What is a woman? What is masculine? What is feminine? What about gender? And how do we deal with our neighbors? Do we use their pronouns? How do we listen to them, love them? How do we relate to them? How do we show compassion? Those are all things I'm hoping to answer as a church family looking at the Scriptures in these next few weeks. Please pray for me. I'm not smart enough for this job. Uh, but I, this is where my hope is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if Christ has called me to be a preacher of the truth and to love this church family and be a pastor here, I can do it. Not because of me, not because of anything about me. I, I bring every hurdle into the picture. But pray, pray for our church family. Pray for me specifically. I'm struggling. I'm struggling so much right now. I want to honor God with the truth. Pray for us that we would be united. Pray for us that we would be able to look at the Scripture and stand firm on what Scripture has taught for thousands of years. Amen. Still true today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are so humbled before you. What does it mean to bear your image? How do you make the distinctions? And not discrimination, but blessing. The blessing of diversity. How have you made us to bear your image? We want to do it right. We want to reflect your image. We want to love our neighbor. We want to love our gay neighbors, even gay Christians who, who think differently than I do on this issue. How can I love them like you love them? How can you strengthen us to be a church that stands on the truth but reflects your love and grace and mercy? It's impossible for us to do that. But with you, all things are possible. Would you do that, please? Would you start a revival? Would you change our hearts? Would you change this community? Would you help us to be your hands and feet? We love you because you first loved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.